Major Lindsay and Africa presents Bouncing Back, conversations about resilience for lawyers. Welcome to Bouncing Back, Resilience for Lawyers. This podcast is brought to you by Major Lindsay and Africa, the global leader in legal search and consulting. I'm your host, Rebecca Glasser. I am a managing director in the associate practice group at Major Lindsay and Africa. In this podcast, you'll hear me speak to successful professionals about the hiccups, bumps, bruises, and setbacks they've experienced in their careers and professional lives. And you'll learn how they ultimately bounce back from those experiences to thrive. Today, my guest is Ling Ling Ni, General Counsel and Vice President for Ethics and Compliance at the Georgia Institute of Technology, my alma mater and one of the top research and engineering schools in the world. At Georgia Tech, Ling Ling serves as Chief Legal Counsel for the Institute and is a member of the President's Cabinet. She previously served as Chief Compliance Officer and Assistant General Counsel at Panasonic Corporation of North America, where she was responsible for managing the global corporate compliance and ethics program for over 25 subsidiaries and division companies. Prior to that, she served as Senior Advisor to the General Counsel at the U.S. Department of Treasury. In 2019, Ling Ling was selected as a 40 Under 40 honoree by both the Atlanta Business Chronicle and the University of Georgia and she was the recipient of the Women's Leadership Award from the Georgia Asian Pacific American Bar Association. She's a former division president of Panasonic's Women Connect organization and currently serves as a global mentor for the Sport Integrity Global Alliance. Ling Ling also serves on the board of directors for the Georgia Lawyers for the Arts. She's a graduate of the University of Georgia and received her law degree from Washington and Lee University School of Law. She's licensed to practice in both Georgia and Virginia, and I am super happy to have her here as my guest today. Thank you for being here, Ling Ling. Thank you so much, Rebecca, for inviting me. I'm thrilled to join this podcast today. Awesome. Well, in a prior conversation, I want to get right into it. Um, you mentioned that you had quite a difficult time in law school. Uh, tell us more about that. Sure. Um, I think I didn't really have an opportunity as a young person to discover, you know, really what my passions were with respect to pursuing, you know, a career. I think there's a lot of pressure on on sort of first generation folks, you know, to take advantage really of the opportunities um, in the United States. And, you know, I'm no exception to that. You know, my parents sacrificed a lot to come here to the United States with the goal of making sure I had access to better opportunities than, than they did. And so there was a real thought behind making sure that I was pursuing things that would make me, in their mind, successful. And I think, and I'm speaking very broadly here, particularly with Asian Americans, there's almost a sort of very specific view of what success looks like in terms of mm-hmm. professions, um, <laughs> yes. yeah, the doctor, the lawyer, the engineer. And so yes. at a very young age, I did show kind of a predisposition to reading and writing. And so my parents sort of decided at that time that, you know, I think you'd make a great lawyer. Um, and <laughs> growing up in the culture that I grew up with, you don't really challenge that. You say, okay, fine, that sounds good. And so my mission, <laughs> right. right, so my, my mission in school, elementary school, middle school, high school was just to get 
the best grades I possibly could um, to get into a good college and then sort of do the same thing in terms of what my priorities were there, you know, to get into law school. Um, but I actually didn't really think much beyond, you know, beyond law school, you know, what happens at that point. So when I did get to law school, I honestly very early on felt a little disconnected um, from the curriculum, a little disconnected from, you know, my fellow students um, and wasn't really sure what I was doing there. Um, yeah. And found myself a little, sort of little bit lost. And I seriously considered after my first semester uh, leaving and trying to figure out what really was my path. Um, but I, I didn't. Um, I, I did a lot of soul searching and decided to sort of stick it out. Um, but that was a real sort of early experience where uh, I really had to dig deep and try to figure out a way to kind of push forward. Absolutely. Did you tell your parents about these doubts or did you kind of keep them to yourself um, during, during that time? I discussed it with them. You know, they are the most supportive um, people in, in my life. And, you know, I'm not someone who has a strained relationship with my parents. We're very, very close. And so we talked about it. And the way I sort of recovered from this, this challenge was to kind of give myself a little bit more perspective. And, and quite honestly, law school is only three years. Um, it's not like a 30 yes. year commitment. Um, yes. and frankly, right. Right. And, and frankly, yes. you know, being in law school, that's an incredible path to be on that for some people is not even an option for them to pursue. Um, yes. so I was very aware of the sort of privileged position I had being in law school. And I thought it would make a lot of sense to just continue forward, um, continue my degree and then see kind of where that, where that led me. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. It's kind of like stick it out, so to speak, you know, in terms of digging deep, you know, when you're in a situation um, where you're not happy um, and you're not really sure what to do next, but you're just trying to like, you know, gunning towards the end, like how can we get to the end or claw, claw to the end? Um, I'm curious where that came from. You know, was it support from your parents? Did you, um, you know, sort of rely on faith? Were you kind of looking to your left and your right and going, well, they're doing it. I guess I can just like suck it up and and, and finish. Um, I, I'm sort of curious, you know, kind of what the internal dialogue, I guess, was um, at that point of you recall. I know that I realized it was a long time ago, but um, you know what you were saying to yourself um, to get to get there. Sure. So when I decided that I was going to stay, you know, that's a commitment that I made, and I'm not someone to sort of uh, fall short or give sort of half efforts. Um, when I've made a commitment to doing something. So I really had to come up with a strategy um, and develop some successful, I guess, coping mechanisms um, that could help yes. me make it through the end of, of this journey. And, you know, there's a saying that I really took to heart at this time in my life, and it's bloom where you are planted. And yes. so I tried to take stock of what are the things about this experience that I actually do enjoy and try to focus on that whenever I started to feel um, those sort of early feelings of, of uh, dis being disconnected. And so, you know, I do enjoy reading and I do enjoy writing. Um, so those were things that I focused on day to day to kind of get me through the tough times. 
Um, I also enjoyed my fellow students, you know, even though most of them had a had a purpose for being there and sort of made that decision on their own. Um, they were all in the same boat as me in terms of having to deal with tremendous stress and intense pressure. So just being able to spend time socially, you know, with my with my classmates was another coping mechanism to make me feel sort of less isolated. Um, but I think that's an important skill that I took away from this was just making sure um, I'm I'm identifying what about this experience is positive and is motivating and using that sort of uh, energy momentum to kind of get me through. That 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 makes a lot of sense. It's sort of like how you framed it. <laughs> you know, you you found some little silver linings, if you will, um, to kind of keep you keep you focused on the prize. Um, you know, from where I sit, uh, I feel like your career has been meteoric. Um, you know, for those listeners who are not in the legal profession, it's very difficult to become a general counsel, the chief legal officer of any institution, period. Um, but it's even more difficult to become the GC of an extremely prestigious, world-renowned organization like Georgia Tech. Um, you know, for those who don't know, who aren't in the Southeast, Georgia Tech is affectionately known as the MIT of the South. Um, it, it is a very prestigious organization. Um, it has, um, you know, um, campuses internationally. Um, it's a big deal. Um, and so, you know, even though it's public, not private, like MIT, it is of the same caliber. So how do you go from, <laughs> Lingley, how do you go from n not wanting to be in law school and just trying to grin and bear it um, to, to flourishing in this way as I view it? Well, thank you for the compliment. I, I appreciate that. And uh, I certainly agree with you that Georgia Tech is a phenomenal institution. I mean, every day I am so impressed just with the quality of not only the faculty, and staff, but especially the students. And it's just such a joy to be able to work um, with people who are so curious and who are so, uh, so interested in sort of pursuing excellence and innovation to improve, you know, the, just the human experience. So thank you very much for, uh, for that compliment. I think, you know, there were consequences to me feeling a little disconnected um, early on in law school and it reflected in my grades, to be totally honest. And yeah. so that first year was a little bumpy for me. Uh, my second and third years were much, much better. Um, but as you know, if, if well, I'm not, well, maybe you don't know, but as people who have struggled in their first year in law school, know, um, it's difficult to dig yourself out of the hole um, when you've oh, done, you know, right? When it you've is. done not so great. Your uh, first uh, you're year. talking to uh, a fellow person whose grades were not exactly uh, stellar in law school, um, and I think, quite honestly, if I'm honest with myself, I was maybe having some um, of the same sort of, uh, you know, crises of con conscience. You know, sort. I, I was probably in a similar mental space uh, where, you know, I can very much empathize with your, you know, what am I doing here? Uh, I definitely. Um, felt like I shouldn't have been there at certain times, um, completely a fish out of water. So, yeah, it makes sense. And, and for the listening audience, too, who is not in a legal profession, I know this is going to be promoted in a lot of different places. Um, the way it works in law school, uh, typically, unless it's an elective, but for your main courses, you your entire grade is based on one test at the end of the semester, uh, essay style, typically, although I had had some multiple choice ones, and that's it. Um, that is your grade. 
So if you do not do well um, in one or more classes your first year, uh, due to the law of averages, it is difficult to bounce back. Um, so um, you are in a tough spot and your ability to get employed after law school is highly um, contingent upon your grades. That is the largest uh, piece of the puzzle uh, in terms of you know who they decide to grant interviews to. So um, yeah, you were, you were in a tough spot. Uh, it sounds like, you know, from the beginning, and you really had to probably put forth some Herculean efforts to get yourself out of that hole. Right. Yeah. After after I graduate, I sort of found myself in a position where nobody was looking for me, uh, to be honest. <laughs> and yeah. every door that I would sort of see my fellow students walking through was just shut. Um, and that's yeah. just the reality sometimes, you know, when for whatever reason, your your aren't really reflective of, um, you know, your your drive and 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 your potential. Um, in many cases, um, law school is very unforgiving. You know, as you've as you've um, articulated. So I think, from a very early point in my career, I knew that opportunities weren't going to go my way. Um, number two, I knew being the first person in my family to be a lawyer. Um, and being a, a child of, of immigrants, you know, I didn't have much of a network at all to really rely on. So I had to learn that I am the driver of my career and I'm not yeah. going to be able to rely on, you know, resources that other people might have. And I think that's where I, I developed that sort of, maybe it's called impatience about sort of progressing <laughs> um, and always looking, you know, five, 10 steps ahead, not just one or two steps, but five, 10 steps ahead to see what is out there so I can continue to advance myself because that's the way I needed to survive, you know, to be able to be successful. So there's always a benefit um, to going through some difficult times, even though you don't see it at the moment. Um, but I do think I've carried that energy and I've carried that sort of Pro proactive sort of uh, approach to my career. I've carried that throughout um, my life because of the the setbacks I had early on. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so, how did you find your first job? Um, since you know you, you said nobody was looking for you, <laughs> um, uh, I'm curious about how you got that very first chance to to kind of prove yourself as a lawyer. Yeah, so in Virginia, um, and I graduated from Washington and Lee, which is in Lexington, Virginia. Um, in Virginia, clerkships with courts are usually a one or two year gig. Um, they're not sort of a job that you have for um, uh, uh, an extended period of time like they are like in Georgia and other states. And it really is fashioned that way to sort of be a bridge for law students um, to kind of cross as they move into their career. So I was very fortunate, you know, after applying to hundreds of places um, that I got a call back from the circuit court in the city of Portsmouth, Virginia, um, that at the time had five judges that handled both criminal and civil matters. And I was so thrilled, so grateful for that opportunity. Um, and it, uh, you know, it was a job that I just sort of applied for through the, through the hiring process and miraculously was selected for. And so I really took advantage of that opportunity to explore where my interest would be in the legal field now that I'm here. Um, and yeah. it's really been a process of elimination for me. And coming out of that clerkship, I sort of 
knew that I don't think I wanted to pursue criminal law. Um, that didn't really uh, spark an interest. Um, but the civil side was was of interest to me. Uh, so I joined a law firm in the area as a civil litigator and primarily handled divorces and medical malpractice mm -hmm. issues. Um, not because yeah. of a, not because I was interested in that, but that's just what that firm did. So that's what I was doing. Yeah. And I think probably three months in, I realized I didn't like this either. Uh, yeah. And looked around a little bit to see, okay, you know, what's the next step for me? And a lot of my classmates had gone to DC to work for the federal government. And so I thought, well, maybe I will give that a shot. And the federal government hires, you know, through their website, usajobs.gov. Um, so that's what I went to and applied for as many jobs as possible for entry-level lawyers and was able to get a job at United States Mint, which is a bureau of the Department of the Treasury. And that's actually where I sort of discovered this practice area called compliance and found it really, I felt, I felt such a relief because I actually enjoyed it. And so I finally found something yes. that I liked doing. I liked doing training. I loved, yeah, yes. I loved writing policies. Um, all these things that are real key uh, tasks if you're a compliance professional. I just loved it. And from there, you know, all my, my career was sort of focused in, in that area until um, the last few years where I sort of broadened my scope. But uh, it was a real relief to finally find something that piqued my interest and I thought was uh, uh, a role that played to my natural strengths. Going back to kind of your, your career path, you know, you found um, ethics and compliance to be an area that, that, that spoke to you and you said, I want to stick with this. What was the impetus to leave the Treasury and go to Panasonic and kind of how did that manifest? How did that happen? Well, I'm fortunate that I got to work at the Treasury Department during the financial crisis because that was like a historical time, I think, in the history of our country. And as a result, I was able to work on aspects of Dodd-Frank, which was that, you know, uh, re uh, that, that, that regulation that was put into place to address some of the, you know, deficiencies in our, in our financial system that led to the crisis. And as I would work through some of um, the review of, of different rules and the, the different sort of ways we would approach, you know, regulating the markets, it, it occurred to me, I wonder what it's like for companies to have to comply with these types of um, these types of restrictions and, and limitations. That really became a sort of area of interest for me as I was working my way through Treasury. So yeah. I decided to explore opportunities in the private sector as a result and sort of went back to my sort of normal approach at that time in my career, which was to look at the market and look at the landscape and and just uh, apply to as many positions as, as possible to see what might shake out and um, learned about this opportunity at Panasonic, their automotive industry in, in particular, which was headquartered in Peachtree City, Georgia. And that was mm. a nice sort of coincidence because I had also been thinking about moving back to Georgia since my parents were still there. Uh, so they hired me and I got to do a number of things for that for that company, um, standing up their 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 first ethics and compliance program, but also really rolling up my sleeves and getting involved in the business side of things and seeing how companies respond to enforcement agencies and regulatory bodies was exactly what I was wanting to to do. Um, you know, when I first started exploring the idea, so it was real nice to actually get the experience that I was hoping to get. You know, by making that move.
That's fantastic. No, that's great. And it worked out really nicely because you got back home to Georgia. So that, yes. that, that was good. Um, you know, as I listen to you describe your career path, Ling Ling, um, you know, to me, it has sort of all the markers of resilience, you know, not letting the bad grades or feeling like, you know, you know, you went to a public college for undergrad or you know, um, being a minoritized person and a woman, letting none of these things hold you back, right? Um, and um, we talked about this before. I'm a little bit of a nerd, and I've spent a good bit of time over the last few weeks and months in preparation for the podcast reading a lot of um, academic journals about resilience and, like, how how are people resilient? You know, is it innate? Are you born with it? Do you learn to be resilient? And what the literature says is, you know, it is not necessarily an innate characteristic. It's not genetic. Maybe there's a propensity to be more or less, a propensity to be more or less resilient, but resilience itself is learned or taught. It's not something that you're necessarily born with. Um, and, you know, people rely on different things um, to, to learn resiliency. Um, sometimes they get experiences in their youth. Um, sometimes they have examples of resilient people in their lives. Um, perhaps they rely on religion, social networks, or other practices to get them through. Um, and, you know, they, this is what gives them the strength to pick themselves, out, themselves up, brush themselves off, and, and move forward. Um, and I'm curious, where did the, the strength, knowledge, uh, assistance help? You know, what, where does your resilience come from? Great question. I think it came from my parents' experience, to be honest. Um, you know, coming to a new country um, is a very courageous undertaking. And Indeed. my parents came to the United States knowing really nobody. And I sort of watched as a child them having to learn things on their own, having to survive on their own and create opportunities for themselves because they weren't being sort of handed to them since they weren't, you know, from, from, this, from this country. And particularly my father, I, I, I watched him have to really fight to, to, to make a progress career. I mean, this is a time when diversity wasn't valued the way it is today. And him being a foreigner, um, him being someone who only learned to speak English in his 20s, you know, put him at um, a more disadvantaged position than, than others. And he he remained, though, confident that, you know, he could do these jobs that, uh, you know, were sort of uh, farther up the career ladder. And he was just so focused on improving himself, improving himself and improving his position. Um, and it was really remarkable as a child to be able to see that drive and Oh, you know, every job rejection, you know, every promotion that he didn't get, how that didn't set him back, but in fact, set him up for more success because he learned from it every time. And so I think a lot of the coping mechanisms I learned when I was feeling sort of a little um, down on myself um, really came from from the two of them and particularly my father. Yeah. What great examples. Because, I mean, yeah, let's be honest, you what one could take a different tact right one could become bitter and um you know 
shake their fist at the man or whatever, you know, be very upset about being discriminated against because of an accent or because they're an immigrant or because they're Asian or because how they look or what have you. Um, and he just, you know, it sounds like was incredibly resilient and just kept going, um, you know, like the Energizer Bunny, like brush herself off and let's keep moving. And I'm sure an incredibly, it sounds like an incredibly powerful um, example of resilience that, that that you could rely on those lessons um, as you progressed in your career. Well, we're, we're getting down to the last few minutes um, of our podcast, and I wanted to ask you a final question, um, you know, around our theme of resilience. Um, this past year, as you know, last 12 to 18 months uh, for me um, have, have been quite difficult for a lot of people, um, everyone really, um, but especially young newly practicing attorneys. Many of them have been furloughed, laid off, faced pay cuts, uncertainty about their careers and their personal lives. And many of them, especially the millennials and Gen Zers, were too young to really be um, personally impacted, directly impacted by the Great Recession um, like we were. So many of them don't have a point of reference for what they were experiencing. And, you know, part of the issue, too, is, you know, lawyers are very smart people. They're go-getters. They're used to being kind of at the top of their class. Everything is very, you know, as you sort of describe it, linear until it's not, right? You know, they go through elementary, middle school, high school, college, typically at the top of their class, um, sometimes law school at the top of their class. Um, and then, bam, life sort of punches you in the face, as it has many of us um, this past year. And so, my question for you is, what advice would you give to these young lawyers, um, you know, particularly the ones that have never experienced anything like this before, and, and those are sort of questioning their career choice and, 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 and their circumstances at this point? Well, I think get punched in the face, as you say, early in life can actually be a good thing. I know it's hard to appreciate that when you're actually getting punched <laughs> in the face right now. Um, but right. going through challenges right. early in your career, early in life, is incredibly revealing in that you learn the skills really early on to overcome that. Um, and I contrast that with someone who maybe has always been on a upward trajectory for their whole career and who only yeah. experience setbacks much later in life when you actually have much more to lose. And yes. because they never experienced it early on, they didn't have the opportunity to develop that toolkit that you need to really manage through setbacks. So, you know, for those people who are listening today who are really finding themselves challenged, um, I, I, I would, I, the only thing I can say is, you know, this is an incredible opportunity for you to start developing the toolkit that you're going to have to rely on going forward because this is not going to be the first time you're punched in the face. Um, Yes. It's going to happen again. It, I can guarantee that um, it's going to happen yes. again. But next time you're going to be so well prepared to deal with it because you've been through it before. So think of this as really a learning opportunity um, and think of it as a way as actually to think of it as an opportunity that's going to help you overcome challenges later in life. And that's going to put you in a better position than someone who's not going to have that that experience. Definitely. I, I completely agree. Well, this was wonderful. I want to just thank you so much for giving me your time and sharing with me your experiences, um, you know, sharing with our listeners today. I know that they will be 
um, impacted by, by what you said, and, and there's a lot of lessons here, um, you know, to be learned from your experience. So I sincerely appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Bouncing Back, Resilience for Lawyers. Join us next time for another story about thriving after overcoming challenges. You can find Bouncing Back and other programming for lawyers on MLA's Legal Talk Network.